hey, why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. And we kicked off last weekend. This is something we do every year. Um, every year we do a weekend or a series around this idea. We call it I Heart My Church Weekend. We have t-shirts, uh, $5 t-shirts that are available for you, and uh, you can buy those and, and be a part of this with us. But this is what we said a long time ago when Julie and I started the church. We were getting ready for the church. I said, I want a church that, that you can come and, and it be enjoyed and not just endured. And, and if you're sitting there thinking, oh, have you ever had to endure a church? I have. I've had, to, I've had to endure a few services that, I mean, I'm like, Jesus, please come, come back right now, please, because it's, it's the only way we're getting out, Jesus. Like, I think they've locked the doors, and I don't think we're going to be able to get out, Jesus. And if you don't come back, we're out of options. I don't know another option. And so, and so um, I think it's okay to love your church. And I know if you're here and you're like, I don't know that I, I mean, that kind of sounds like a cult. It's interesting. We can love our chihuahua. We can love our coffee. But somebody says, well, I love my church. It's like, oh, my God, it's a cult. And, and so... For me, I, you know, I think you should be able to love your church, and we want you to love your church. And if you don't love church, it's probably because somebody did it wrong, because I think the church is something that should be enjoyed. It should be loved. Now, here's the thing. It's what you need to understand, because you're sitting here thinking, I've heard people say, well, if I could go to the perfect church. Well, it, it wouldn't be perfect the day you walked in, because you're not perfect. And, and so you got, some things you got to learn to love in spite of, right? Like your children, <laughs> right? Because they don't get it all right all the time. Sometimes they got stuff running out of their nose when they're babies, they're eating dirt. I mean, there's all types of things. Then they turn into teenagers. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but we're going to love them in spite of it, right? And, and I've said this many times. Listen, listen, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, especially when it comes to Jesus and the church, because listen, I don't know about you, but I love steak. Now I'm going to tell you something. I've had some bad steak in my life. I'm going to tell you this. I didn't give up on cows. Right? I didn't give up on cows. Steak is highly processed salad when you think about it. So if you're a vegan, me too. Me too. He eats the grass. It turns into beef. And it's just, right? Beef is just another form of grass. Vegan. So anyways, um, <laughs> Right? Are you, are you with me? Yeah. So, so how, you know, and this is what I need you to understand from my perspective. Like, here, here's one for you. If I gave up on church every time I had a negative experience, I would resign my job every week. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but working at a church, sometimes you have bad experiences with church people. Because you're sitting there thinking, well, I had a bad experience with my former pastor. Well, I've had those. And then as a pastor, I've had some other experiences that I will not share with you. Because I want to be happy and positive. Amen. And so, so here's the thing. But here's what I come to. Like, even in all of that, I love the church. And here's why I love the church. I do not love the church because it is perfect. I love the church because it is purposed. It's not because it's perfect. Like, it is never going to be perfect this side of Jesus coming. Right? But it is purposed by God. And here's how much God thinks about the church. Because we'll say this. Well, God had this plan God had this plan to save all of mankind, right? And that plan was he sent his son to die and rise again. But that's not the end of God's plan. But sometimes that's where we leave it. 
Because the God's plan was, I'm going to send my son to die and rise again. And on that resurrection, he's going to start a movement of messy, broken, messed up people. And those messed up people will be a church that I build that will proclaim the gospel around the world and reach all of mankind. And I love church today, not because it's perfect, but because it has a purpose. Are you with me? And so in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to read a little bit about Jesus' heart for one individual because I believe that God's heart for you comes through God's church. And so in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, if you want to read along, this is where Jesus calls Matthew to be a disciple. His name was Levi. It was then changed to Matthew. But it says, as Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, what does your teacher, what's your teacher doing eating with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 12, on Jesus hearing this, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous but the sinners. I call this message, I heart my church, a heart for you. A heart for you. And here's why. Because you need to understand that God has a heart for you. And God's heart for you comes through God's church. Right? God's heart for you comes through God's church. And I know there are people, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. No, and you don't need to go home to be married. But it's really going to help things out a lot. Right? Like you, you can be married and live in Nova Scotia and your wife be in Texas. You don't ever have to come home to be married. But I think it's really going to hurt what that marriage was meant for. All right? Are you with me? And I'll just say this. This is just, you know, I, I started ministry when I was one. Um, and so after 20 years of ministry experience, It's true. Um, four out of three people struggle with math. But anyways, you'll get that later. But after about 20 years of doing this, I can tell you this. The, the people that, and I've heard it, I've heard it. Pastor, I don't have to be part of a church to be a Christian or to be saved. And that's true. That's totally true. But here's what I can tell you. The, the people that have chosen that route have really never done anything for the kingdom of God. And we need to readjust our, our focus. Is it the mission of Jesus or the mission of me? You know, just like we've had people that leave and they say, well, the church is just getting too big. I don't know everybody. And I'm like, is it more important that you know everybody or that everybody knows Jesus? Like, who would we want to be the center of the universe? That's why we have life groups, because sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Right. And you, yeah, that's exactly right. And so, you know, you're singing in your head now. <laughs> You know, that's what you're doing right there. But anyway, sometimes you want to know, and that's why I have lockers. You can, and everybody can know you, and you can know everybody. You know, but a lot of times people that say that aren't in a life group. You know why? Because they really don't want to be known too much, and they don't want to know too much, but then they want to know enough to feel like they know enough. And there's some type of other issue going on there. And here's what I say. We have life groups so you can know everybody, but it's really more important that everybody know Jesus and everybody know me or I know everybody. Amen. And so I was, I, I was at a student service this week, big student switch kickoff, and, and there was some of their leadership in switch. And I'm like, man, I don't think I've ever met them. 
So I'm meeting new people at Switch. Oh, we've been here two years. Oh, that's awesome. What service do y'all go to? You know, I mean, I'm just meeting people, right? And so, so to me, it's I love my church, and and I think the church has a purpose. And 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 let me just give you. Here, we express God's purpose with four Bs, that God created every person to believe in Jesus, to belong to a family, to become a disciple, and to build God's kingdom. Like, if you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't know what God's plan for me is, welcome to the right place, because we can tell you in four words, believe, belong, become, and build. Search it all throughout Scripture. I have God's, God's purposes always come back to these things of believing in Jesus, belonging to a family, becoming a disciple, and building God's kingdom. And so I want to share some numbers from last year. I didn't get to do this last weekend. I want to share some numbers from last year. We categorized them around that. But last year, under the idea of believe, last year, by the way, we do that weekend services, and I'll come back to that. It's all about belief. But believe, in, in last year, we had 361 people make decisions for Jesus last year in, in, in weekend services. That's just services, switch services, weekend services. Uh, we had 336 people last semester in life groups belong, right? And then become next steps. We had over 565 people take next steps last year. And that's as many as we can count. It was probably about twice that, but it's hard for us to count all the possible next steps because you could have gone on outreach and no one told us. And so, um, and then build dream team. We have 342 people actively involved in our dream team. And then first step, which is coming up the 20th, which is you've never been, love for you to be there. But first step last year, we had 121 people get connected to the church through first step. Uh, also we have member, we have owners, not members. The reason is members tend to be the people saying, Hey, y'all need to do something about that. And, and owners say, hey, we should do something about that. So for us, it's a little bit different. The kingdom of God is more about owning the kingdom and, and, and taking responsibility than it is. Be, it's more about serving than being served. And so we have owners, not members. But last year, we had 92 people step up as owners of Pathway. So 92 new owners, and that brings us to 388 total active owners that attend our church. And then, then one more, baptisms. We had two baptisms, just two weekends last year of baptisms. We baptized 123 people last year. And so I, I think that's huge. Yeah. Hey, we um, off to a pretty good start. Last weekend, we had three people receive Christ. Last night, we had two people receive Christ. We're already at five people making decisions for Christ for the year. And this is the second weekend. And so, man, I, I, love, I love all of that. And so I love my church because God's heart for me comes through the church. And so in this Matthew chapter 9, we kind of see Jesus' heart for Matthew. But I'm going to argue that that's God's heart for us. And I'm even going to argue that because Jesus established the church to be his hands and feet and carry out his mission and his movement and his ministry. We talked about that last week. But because of that, then God's heart for us comes through his church that he's established. And so, um, and so you might want to write these down. And by the way, I know when we throw up numbers, it sounds really good, but let me just remind you that every number has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God. And so we say 361 decisions and that's good. That's 361 stories. That's 361 people that, that Jesus knows, right? So those, those are, those are people, not just Numbers. I don't want to ever become numbers for our team. Like it's never about numbers. We we track the numbers so when we stand before God, we're gonna have a really good idea if we did what He told us to do or not. Um, because you can't manage what you can't measure in business principle. And so um, and so we 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 track that. But it's for us not about the numbers. It's about the stories. 
Um, and so anyways, but God's heart for, for you through your church or through the church, uh, you may want to write this down. And I put these with the four B's because I want everybody to know the four B's, but I just kind of put an expression out there too. So number one, belief, and this is God's hope for you. This is God's hope for you. And God's hope for you comes through his church. And this is, this is where belief comes from. Now, now I don't know. Let me ask this question. Has anyone in here at any time in your life ever felt like you were dealing with a hopeless situation, right? I mean, probably every person, but if we've lived life, you know, much more than a week, probably felt like at some point, we whether it was a relationship, a marriage, a financial situation, a health situation, a job situation, a kid situation, a parent situation, whatever it was, we encountered a time when we felt like it was just hopeless. And I love Matthew chapter 9 because Jesus encounters a man named Matthew. Matthew is the writer of the gospel of Matthew. He was Levi. So this is his story, actually, of meeting Jesus, and he's writing it. But here's what you need to know. 2,000 years ago, right? There was nothing more hopeless than a tax collector. Now, I know what you're thinking, like, well, a tax collector, it's not too bad. We have them here, you know, we register our car, you know, pay our taxes, you know, kind of like the IRS, you know, and if you're the IRS and you're here, we love you. We're glad that you're here. You probably listened to our conversations over the phone this past week. But anyways, if, you, if we love you. But, but it wasn't like that. It wasn't like the IRS. This, this was a hopeless situation. And here's why. Because a, a Jew, a Jewish person who was a tax collector 2,000 years ago, they were someone that, that bought the franchise rights from Rome to tax a certain district. And they were allowed to tax pretty much whatever they wanted to tax. And they taxed everything. They taxed fish. They taxed turnips. They taxed the internet. They taxed everything. Net neutrality. But anyways... <laughs> they taxed everything, right? And, and they were dishonest and they were greedy and they cheated people and they stole from people because Rome did not care how much they collected as long as they made the right payment to Rome. And so a tax collector was, was the lowest form of low, really, even though they were obviously very wealthy. But this was someone in this Jewish culture that had turned their back completely on God. They were not allowed. If you were a tax collector, you were not allowed to go to church. You were not allowed to participate in worship. And being a tax collector really meant that you had turned your back on God, turned your back on anything faith-oriented. Essentially, Matthew knew that he was going to burn in hell. He was totally fine with it as long as he got to take his, collect his taxes now. So this was someone that, that in old school King James, we just said they had a reprobate mind. That's a mind that cannot repent. And this is somebody that they're not going to ever repent. They're not ever going to get right with God. They're not even going to try. And so Jesus encounters really a hopeless situation in Matthew. And in verse 9, it says this. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw. Now, if you have a Bible where you underline things, you might want to underline those words. He saw. He saw a man named Matthew. He saw. Here's, here's what I want to remind you today. Is that if you're in a hopeless situation, he sees you. If you feel hopeless today, Jesus sees you. Matthew was in a hopeless situation, and Jesus saw him, right? And if you're in a hopeless situation today, Jesus sees you. And I know, I know sometimes people think, well, if I'm in a hopeless situation, if I'm hurting today, then, and if Jesus sees me, why is he not doing anything about the hurt? And, and all I can tell you is, I, I don't know. 
I can't answer every question. I can tell you this. Sometimes we hurt because people did stuff. Sometimes we hurt because until we hurt, we will never get to help. Until we hurt, we'll never pursue help. And so I don't, I don't know. But I do know this. The Bible is very conclusive on the fact that God knows and God sees. And you need to understand that if you're feeling hopeless today, that hope is actually determined by belief. And so for Matthew, he was hopeless, not, not because he had a hope problem, but because he had a belief problem. Think about it. People get hopeless when they don't believe it will change. When they don't believe there's any help. When they don't believe they can do anything differently and get a, a different outcome. When they don't believe it can get better. So really, when we're talking about hopelessness, we're not talking about a hope problem. We're actually talking about a belief problem. And so Jesus comes to a very hopeless individual and all he does is give him an opportunity to believe the same way he gives us an opportunity to believe. Jesus loves to invade hopeless situations. If you think about it, the father of our faith, Abraham, right? In Genesis chapter 11, the Bible makes it very clear. Abraham and Sarah can have no children. She is barren or they are barren, whichever. They always categorize it under the female side, but it could have been him. We don't know, but they, they cannot have children, right? And then in chapter 12, God shows up to a man who doesn't know him, who doesn't worship him, who doesn't serve him because Abraham didn't have a good relationship with God. He didn't know God until Genesis chapter 12, to Genesis chapter 12. And yet God loves to invade hopeless situations because he shows up to a man that we already know they cannot have children. And he says, Hey, I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to make your descendants so numerous. You, you can't count them all. Right? Because he loves to invade all the situations. But Romans 14, uh, Romans 4.17 tells us something. It says, this is what scripture means when it, when it says, I've made you a father of many nations. So in other words, God kept his promise to Abraham. Abraham literally became the, the promise uh, or the, the father of many nations. And then it tells us this happened because, very important, this happened because Abraham believed. What was the answer for a hopeless situation, belief. And then, by the way, this gives the greatest job description of God I've, if anywhere in the Bible to me. Anywhere in the Bible. And, and listen, no, no, other, no other deity, no other religion, no other teacher, nobody else says this is what I do, by the way. And he says he believed God, the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. That, to me, we should be able to say amen and go home right there. Like that should be the end. It's not the end, sorry. But, but we should be able to call it the end because that to me is amazing because I'm telling you, if you feel hopeless today, you don't have a hope problem. You have a belief problem. And we need to believe in a God who does the very impossible, a God who brings the dead back to life and a God who can make new things out of nothing. And at the beginning of the issue, you're sitting there thinking, I have nothing. Then God says, you have everything you need for me to do something new. See, Christianity isn't built out of philosophies or karma or inspirational ideas. It's actually founded on the resurrection, an impossibility, if you will. Like the church is built on something impossible. A man was murdered, put in a tomb, and three days later said, what's up? You know what I mean? That's what we're built on. We are built 
on a resurrection. We are built on the impossible. And that's why, that's why this, this belief is the anchor of our soul. Hebrews 6 says it's the anchor of our soul. Think about this. What is the anchor of our soul? It's our belief. Our belief in what? In the finished work of Jesus and the future return of Jesus. If you think about it, we actually have two buoys. If you've ever anchored a boat, you know, you can have one buoy and it can move around, but a lot of times they'll anchor them with two, right? Why? Because then it doesn't swirl around, right? And if you think about it, when it says hope is the anchor of our soul, we have two. We have, listen, the, 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 the resurrection is our hope for eternity. That's our hope that, that this is not the end. And no matter what I'm facing today isn't final. And if I failed today, it isn't final. And if I'm addicted today, it isn't final. Right? No matter what I'm facing today is not the end. But the other buoy point is, and I know it's not the end because I have this resurrection over here. And so the resurrection is actually hope for there. And it's hope for today. Are you with me? Right? Um, Paul said it this way in Romans 8. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Right? And it quickens you. Here's what he's saying is that because of this resurrection, yes, our hope is anchored there, but we have hope today. God can bring the dead back to life today. God can do something new out of something nothing today. So we have hope today. And that's the anchor of our soul that the final chapter hasn't been written. Our story has not been completed. And if you feel like it's not going well or hasn't been told rightly, here's the thing. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, that resurrection impossibility exists in you and God still does the impossible. Your story is not over. And that's the belief and the anchor of your soul. This is, by the way, why we do weekend services. Um, do you guys understand financial margin? Right? A Bible say, the Bible says it's a fool who spends everything that they make. Right? And, and I don't know what the writer would think about that, knowing that most Americans spend about 8% more than what they make. But I don't know what's after fool in God's vocabulary. But anyways, <laughs> by the way, this is why we do financial peace life groups, and this is why we help people because we want you to win. But do you know what financial margin is? Financial margin says that, you know, I'm going to live on like 90% of my income or 85% of my income or 80% of my income. Like I think a good, a good target is I'm going to tithe 10%. I'm going to save 10%. I'm going to live on 80% of my income. And so hopefully you, you live with some financial margin. Why do we live with financial margin? Because life happens, right? And, and the washing machine breaks and the car breaks or whatever, 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 right? And, and when that breaks, it's nice to say, well, I've been putting money away through my margin so that now I can meet the demands of reality, right? I think the problem is a lot of times people live with no faith margin. And what I mean is we have just enough faith to hold where we're at today and then something happens. And then there's a divorce documentation and then there's a medical situation and, and there's a financial crisis and we don't have any faith to pull from because we weren't building our faith margin. And that's why when people say, well, you know, pastor, I'd like, we've been meaning to come to church, but you know, the last four months have been busy, but we're going to get back. I'm like, I'll see you again, but it's probably going to be because life happened and you had no faith margin. I mean, I know you'll be back because <laughs> I've done this a long time. But what would have been life in these last four months where obviously things were kind of okay if you'd been building faith margin? 
And that's why we do weekend services, by the way. It's all about this idea of belief. It's this hope. Hope is tied to belief. And, and, and we say it this way, that, that, that when, I, when I believe in Jesus, I get eternal life, right? See, that's, that's the, the, the anchor of the future hope, right? But when John said, I write these things, and he was writing to believers, he said, I write these things that you might continue to believe. And what we say is, when I continue to believe, when I grow in my faith, when I, when I grow in the application of my faith, when I learn more, take in more, right, connect more, then that's how I walk in abundant life, which is the hope I have today. Are you with me? And so to me, this is God's heart for us, that, that we have faith. Why? Because if we have faith, we have hope, and God wants us to have hope, and that comes through our church. That's why we gathered today, that your faith can be built, your faith can be encouraged, your faith can be strengthened so that you have some faith margin if something goes wrong tomorrow. Are you with me? And so that's, that's, that's the hope for you. Here's the second thing. Belong. God's home for you. So there's believe God's hope for you, but then there's belong. God's home for you. And God's home for you is really the local church. Matthew 9, 9, it says that Jesus called him. And then all of a sudden he said, follow me. He said, follow me. I mean, this was, this was a little bit scandalous, really. Because th- remember what we talked about Matthew and what he kind of believed and where he was at? I mean, it wasn't like, this wasn't like a dream team recruitment normal situation. Like, brother, we've seen your faithfulness. I want to invite you to the leadership team. It's like, you're a heathen. You don't even know God. Hey, follow me. <laughs> right? And you know what I love about Jesus that I think sometimes the church gets wrong, but Jesus does it over and over again? Jesus doesn't start with an initiation. He starts with an invitation. Because if Jesus wanted to, he could have had the stop it ministry like a lot of churches have tried, right? And I mean, with Matt, like Matthew, you need to stop it. You need to stop cheating those people. You need to stop lying. You need to stop stealing. He could have had the stop it ministry. I think that's what religion is really good at, the stop it ministry, right? Because Jesus could have been good at this because Jesus knew a lot of stuff. He's been like, hey, I know what you're doing. I know what you've been doing. I know what, you're like. I know what you two did last night. I know what y'all did. Y'all need to stop that, Right? And I mean, for a tax collector, what they did was so bad, even the prostitutes were looking at them like, y'all need to quit. And so, so it would have been easy. It would have been easy. It's serious. It would have been easy for Jesus to, 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 to begin the stop it movement while he was on the earth. But he doesn't. He, he, he came to invite. Right? He, 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 came, he came to invite people. He didn't ask them to join in an initiation Because Jesus understands this, that we're not actually saved by behavior. In fact, you can have righteous behavior and not be saved at all. Ask your local Pharisee. And so Jesus understands that behavior is a a worthy goal, but that's not where this thing starts. And so we're not saved by behavior. We're saved by belief. He said to them who believed, he gave them the power to become sons of God. And so since I can't be saved by behavior, then I don't want to teach people behavior because I could teach people to act right and not be right. What I want to do is try to help people be right, and we'll see if it changes how they act. And so Jesus knew that, hey, this is about belief, not about behavior. Now, I'm going to freak every religious person in here. I'm going to freak you out right now. Because here's the idea. Everybody would believe we cannot be saved by our behavior. Is everybody on the same page with that? I mean, if we could, Jesus wouldn't have come. We'd just keep the commandments, right? Well, if you can't be saved by your behavior, you can't be sentenced by your behavior. 
It's like that was less. <laughs> it was like, hey amen, can't be saved by our behavior. You can't be sinful. <laughs> it's true because this is all about faith. Faith is what saves us, not works. Now, we're saved for works. I think if we really know Jesus, things start to change. But I'm just saying we need to understand what Jesus understood and that as a church, we're here to offer people a home, not an initiation process. Right? Because, because, I mean, if we keep, keep reading the story, it gets a little bit intense because Matthew 9, 10, this is, listen, here's why you reach people who are in hopeless situations. Here's why. Listen to me. They have friends. Because watch what happens now. Now, Matthew chapter 10, it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, the plot has thickened because the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the hope of the world, the King of all kings is now hanging out in a tax collector's house with tax collectors and sinners. See, tax collectors are so bad, they didn't qualify as sinners. Like, what's below sinner? Tax collector. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? They had, to live, they had to live right just to get to sinner. Anyways, so he's hanging out. He's hanging out at a tax collector's house and sinners, and they're having dinner. Hey, this is, this is a bit of a scandal. It's a bit of a scandal. Listen, if a church is really going to be a home for the people that need it most, it's probably going to be uncomfortable at times. Like, we had one service one time, a guy came in. Um, and uh, I don't think he was saved at all. I'm not sure he knew who Jesus was. I don't know if he thought it was a concert or what, but, man, he's up here jumping around screaming. And act. And my thought was, because I know some people are thinking, like, you going to stop that? You going to stop that? Like, what's that guy doing? Like, this is not how we worship. Like, he's out of control up there. And my thought was, no, I'm not going to stop it because all the religious people need to be uncomfortable for a little while because this, this guy's the whole reason we're here today. We're going to make the service about him and not our religious preferences. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that a bad thing to say? And so, and so sometimes it gets uncomfortable. When I watch this, the plot thickens. Matthew 9, 11, it says, When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, here's the thing. Religious people do not understand the methods of Jesus because for religious people, they say, If you change, you can belong. And that's totally contrary to Jesus' methodology. Jesus' methodology, Ephesians 1, 6 says, I've made you accepted or I've made you to belong. Right? Here's what Jesus said. It's not if you change, you can belong. Jesus said, I came so you could belong, so you'd have the, the ability to change. Right? I, I came so you could belong because it's actually through belonging that you have the power to change. And so I'm not asking you to believe like me and behave like me so you can belong to me. Jesus said, I'm going to come so you can belong to me so you can believe like me, so you can behave like me if that's what you choose. And so it's the difference. It's the difference between the way Jesus did things and the way we do things. Here's what I believe. I believe this all my heart. I believe if people have a real relationship with Jesus, they cannot stay the same. Now, I'm not talking about an association. A lot of people love to have an association with Jesus. You know, it's kind of like I like to associate with things that might benefit me if I ever needed that thing. But I'm not talking about an association with Jesus where you're close enough that you could try to find him if you needed him. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus because Jesus is the king of all kings, and he can only be first place. He can't be second place, third place, or at the end. And so if you have a relationship with Jesus, he is everything. He is the beginning, right? He is the priority. That's what it's like to have a relationship. It means I've laid down my plans and I'm pursuing his purpose. That's what it means. And I believe you have a real relationship with Jesus. You can't stay the same because Jesus seemed to believe that if I get people around me long enough, they'll change. 
And I think that's what we're, we're supposed to be at home to say, come on in. You don't have to believe like us, right? When we started the church, I'm like, I want atheists to be able to come and hang out. And, and if they never believe in Jesus, that's their decision. They never believe in Jesus. I still want to leave and say, man, those were nice people. They were really nice. Enjoyed that. It was very, very encouraging. You know, it's very encouraging. That's what, if nothing else, that's what I'd like, Right? I want our church to have a heart for people far from God, and it may be uncomfortable, and they may not act like us, but we want everyone to belong. By the way, this is why we do life groups, because you need to belong if you're going to grow, if you're going to change, if you're going to become who God created you to be, and we do life groups. And I, I want every person in a life group, especially this year in the, in the spring, we'll be launching an initiative um, to, to move from here to our new campus, and, and we're excited. We've been working on it. We're still working on it. I, it feels like we're working on it all the time. Praise God for that. Um, I'm excited about it. it, is, it's, it's, just, it it's exciting to know what I know that you don't know, but I'm going to tell you when it's time. How's that? And so, and so it's exciting. We're doing all this, all this work and still working with building designers and all this to try to finish all of that, master planning, woo, all this stuff. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. If you're in a life group, you're going to miss parts of it. If you're not in a life group, you're going to miss parts of it because we're going to do parts through the life group. And so this is a great time for me to say, hey, hey, we need life group leaders and life group coaches. This would be a great place. And here's the thing. Just turn your life into a group. Think about it that way. Life group. Turn your life into a group. What do you like to do in life? Well, I like to run. Great. Do a running life group. Get some friends. We'll help you find some. Well, I like to cook. Great. Do a cooking life group. That'd be great. Well, I like to eat. Great. Doing eating. That's what ours is. I, I like eating. Eating life group. It's a little challenging during the fast, but that's okay. Are, are you with me? Turn your life into a group because we want every person to belong. Here's the third thing. Become. Jesus has help for you. It's a help for you. So the church, the church has, it, it's, a, it's a hope for you. It's a home for you. It's a help for you. Uh, verse, verse 12, it says on hearing this, Jesus said, uh, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. See, through the church, Jesus provides healing for us. I mean, there are so many scriptures. Call on the elders of the church, and they'll pray for you, and you'll be healed, right? Um, the gifts of healing that, that flow through the church, and, and that can be physical, and it can be emotional. I mean, it, it can be in a lot of different capacities, but God's help for you comes through the church. Here's what Jesus said. I came to, for those who need it. I came for those who need it. I came to help those who who need it? If today you need help because you're struggling, and you could be struggling in sin, struggling in addiction, you could be struggling in belief and in faith, you could be struggling with forgiveness, you could be struggling with bitterness, you could be struggling with anger, you could be struggling with fear. Today, if you are struggling, you could be struggling with guilt, you could be struggling with condemnation. And if today you're struggling, Jesus came to help those who need it. He said, whosoever will, right? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. He said, call to me. Anybody wants to call to me. I'm going to show you some amazing things that you don't even know. I came to help those who need help. But, but also in this statement, what Jesus said is, I came to help those who know they need help. Right? Because he's talking to Pharisees and they need help. And they don't know they need help. Right? In fact, he told him one time, hey, if you'd admit you couldn't see, I could give you your sight back. And they're like, we can see. And he's like, that's, that's the problem. <laughs> right? And so he came to help those who need it, but he came to help those, those who know it. See, you can't receive help until you admit you need help. In fact, Psalm 50 verse 15 says, and call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. 
Call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and, and you'll celebrate me. See, the help you need, let me explain what help is. The help you need is the difference between where you are and where God's called you to be. And so here's the unique thing about the gospel. Ephesians 1.18 tells us something very interesting. It says that when I come to know Christ, that, that there's some eyes that are open, but they're not on my head. They're on my heart. It says, pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. This is Paul. He said, I'm praying that the, the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Why? So that you'll know the hope to which he has called you. In other words, so you're going to know the hope, you're going to know the calling, you're going to know the purpose. He goes on to talk about the riches that we have, the inheritance that we have, and the power that we have. And this is what Paul said. I want, see, when I come to Jesus, here's what happens. See, before I met Jesus, I didn't know I needed help half the time. And half the time, the reason I came to Jesus is because I finally figured out I needed help. I just didn't know what kind of help I needed. How many people say amen? That's right. But then all of a sudden, when I really have a relationship with Jesus, I think like Matthew, all of a sudden the eyes of my heart begin to open. And I realize, oh, here is what God's called me to do. Here is where God's called me to be. Like God has this thing for me. And so now Jesus helps me because he'll walk with me from where I'm at to where he's called me to be. We call this next steps. Right? This is what we say, become. How do I become who God created me to be? Just one step at a time. Like Jesus isn't scared of your mess. He wasn't scared to go to Matthew's house. He knew when he got to Matthew's house, there wasn't going to be a King James Bible on the coffee table. Right? He knew there might be some religiously offensive things in Matthew's house. He's not scared of the mess. But he will, he will step into your mess, and he will walk with you one step at a time. And you don't need to worry about, well, gosh, where God's called me to be is so far. Where God's called me to go, I don't see how I could get there. I feel so stuck. Here's the thing. Don't worry about how stuck you are right now. Just take your next step. What is your next step? Leading a life group? Maybe it's joining a life group. Maybe it's coming to first step and really being a part of the church and not just having an association with the church, but be, becoming a true part of the church. What, what is your next step? right? Find your next step. Maybe it's serving because you feel stuck and you don't know what your purpose is. What is your next step? Find your next step. Maybe it's establishing a devotion time and trying to do that. I say, if you've never done it, try five days a week, not seven. Because on day three, you're going to feel like a failure. Try five days, try four days a week, right? Because think about it, if you're doing zero, four is pretty good, <laughs> right? But what is, your, what is your next step? Because listen to me very careful, carefully. You go from your mess to your miracle one step at a time. And so here, here's the last thing. Here's the last thing build, uh, God has happiness for you. So God has, he has um, a hope for you. He has a home for you. He has help for you, but he has happiness for you. And, and to me, that comes through the church like all these others. In fact, Matthew 9, 9, <clears throat> it says that Matthew got up and followed him. Now think about that. That is crazy to me if you think about it. I, I mean, I assume if there had been more to the conversation, we would actually have record of it. But all we know happened is Jesus encountered a man in a very hopeless situation and they didn't really know each other and Jesus just looked at him and said, hey, follow me. And Matthew followed him. And in following him, Matthew had to give up his, his franchise, his finances, his friends, I mean, these are, maybe his family. I mean, these are big things to follow Jesus. Now, why would a man who was obviously smart enough to make enough money to buy this franchise to be very wealthy. Why was a man that had that type of capacity so willing to, after one, one conversation 
Really about one sentence. Why was he willing to leave all of that behind and follow Jesus? Here's the reason. He believed Jesus had a purpose for him. And he believed Jesus' purpose for him was greater than his plan for him. That's, that's really what it comes down to. We, we know God has a purpose for everyone. Uh, Jeremiah 29 11 says he's called us to a hope and a future. Romans 8 says he has purposed us. Ephesians 2 says he's created purpose or good things so that we can walk in his purpose. And so we know God has a purpose for every person. But there was something about this exchange where Matthew is willing to walk away from all his possessions, all of his prosperity, all of his people. He is willing to walk away from those things. Why? Because I believe that in that conversation, something about that interaction with Jesus said, he has a purpose for me that is greater than my plan for me. And I believe, I believe that's the same with, with everybody. In fact, I'll say this. When we, when we care too much about possessions of this world, it's usually because we're not aware enough of God's purpose for us. And so, and so here's the amazing thing after that. This tax collector who's in a hopeless situation walks away from his taxing franchise, which was very lucrative, and becomes really, in that time, a world-renowned evangelist. I mean, he becomes a disciple for three years and then goes on for 15 years to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. And then after that, he goes out and begins to preach the gospel in other countries. So this tax collector, very hopeless. Probably everybody that knew Matthew, even at that banquet when he's hanging out with Jesus and the disciples, probably nobody thought, man, this guy right here is going to go on to preach the gospel for years and years and years and even going to write a gospel that's going to be recorded. Think about this. If Matthew hadn't, hadn't pursued Jesus' purpose for him and he had stayed with his plan for him, we wouldn't be talking about him because he'd be in the guy in the Bible that Jesus said, follow me. And he said, no. And that's all we'd really know about him. And that would make some good sermons. But I'm saying because he believed God's purpose was greater than his plan, he followed him. Listen, this, this, is, why, this is why I've said many times that the happiest people in this world are not the people who have the fewest problems. They're the people with the greatest sense of purpose. Listen, I've watched people go through stuff I'd never want to go through and maintain a joy that really is without explanation. But it's because they know what they're purposed to do. And I'm telling you right now, that, that's what I want for, for every, every person. And here's what I can tell you my experience is trying to get joy out of any other purpose than God's purpose for you doesn't work. Because you really need to know. We say you need to know your why, and that's good because if I said, what's your why? What's your motivation for getting up tomorrow? You might say my family, uh, my employees, you know, you, you might list, and those are not bad things, obviously. But here's a better question. What is God's why for you? And is that is what, it, does that get you up in the morning? Do you know what that is? Because when you find out what that is, you really can walk in joy even in different circumstances because happiness is not tied to having the fewest problems. It's tied to having the greatest sense of purpose. And this is why we do a dream team. And I know people are like, well, I don't think my life calling is to be a greeter. We know that. That's just a place to start. Right? That, that's just a great, <clears throat> it's a great place to get started. Being an usher is a great place because why? We walk from our mess to our miracle one step at a time. So what's your next step? Is it to be an usher, to be a greeter, to be a life group leader? Right? Is it to work in children's ministry and preach the gospel to the, to the little people? 
right? Not the village people, but the little people. They may feel like village people sometimes if you work back there. But I'm just saying to teenagers being in Switch, what, what is your next step? Find a place to connect to purpose. That's why Pathway Church, connecting people to purpose. We've said that for eight years because that's what we do because we feel like that's the calling because that's what the church is supposed to help you do. That's why we have a dream team so you can start on the, on the, on the road to finding out why God created you. In fact, First step is a great first step if you've never done that one because we're going to help you understand your personality, your gifts, your abilities. All that's going to happen so you can start taking the right steps to get to your purpose. This is, this is why I love the church. It's not perfect, but it's purposed because through the church comes a hope for you. Through the church comes a home for you. Through the church comes help for you. And through the church, there is actually happiness for you. And that's why I love it, not because it's perfect, but because it's purposed by God to change my life. Amen. Will you stand with me?